So say goodbye to everything you ever knew before And I'd understand if you went running out the door And I'll keep you safe And no harm will ever come to you, I swear And I'll kill if they even dare Love that song. It never, ever, ever gets old. Mm-hmm. The entire CD or album or cassette or eight track, whatever you right. prefer to call it. How you doing, Your Highness? Hi, Boo. I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm hanging in there too. To the left or to the right? Yeah, yeah, both. Are you like that? My balls just, are always bouncing to the left, left and to, to the, the right. right. Yeah. Well, welcome to, to Michigan, Michigan Murders, Murders and Music. music. Aw, that was so synchronized. <laughs> You'd almost think we'd planned it. We didn't. Go on. Where Go on we discuss self. murders in our beautiful, gorgeous state. And top it off with a little homegrown music, leaving you with a happy ending and on a good note. Thank you for allowing us into your ears, for opening up the channels and pushing play. We appreciate you very much. Do we have new listeners? We do. Let's hear it. Uncle Deadly, 808. Bob Z. Aloha, Uncle Deadly. Oh. Bob Z, 3277. Christopher Clayton Loop. Zorka Dork. (laughs) Jason J, 311. China. Mitten State Stacy. King Herschel. We have Old Buds. Oh. Yeah. Rusty Stevenson. Kelsey. Cheryl Hovis. Nicole. And real quick, a big shout out to Courtney. From a Nefarious Nightmare podcast to Tina and Rich from the Love, Mary, Kill podcast and to Adam Antonvich, all of them for encouraging my self-care and my sobriety. I very much appreciate all of you. Boo. Yes. Throw up your hand. Right here. Why does it look a Oh, we just It's all calloused and stuff. No, it's way down here. Time out. Pass up. Wait. We would like to keep our podcast commercial free and independent. If you get something from our podcast, if you if you're learning anything from us, feel free to tip us in the tipsy jar or support us in some way. Who are we featuring this afternoon? Ficus. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Ficus. Do you have an explicit warning content? I have one. See, I'm so confused. I don't even know where I am. Her Highness is going to say really naughty things that we need to... Fucking where am I at on the stupid fucking paper? Keep... I can't even read. Your children away from... In a row. Fucking papers. And uh, do not allow your... Please do not allow your children to listen to this because she's going to say naughty words and we don't want your children being exposed to that kind of stuff. On that note, I podcast with Emmett the other day. Yeah. And I got him to repeat fucking cats. So you guys will get to hear that. Why did you do that, soon. Grandma? I didn't know he was going to say it. I just happened just to push did. the button and he happened to repeat. And he said what? that. It was great. I'm not going to lie. It was awesome. I don't even know who Emmett is. You lie. Keith James Lentz Jr. Did you throw up your slimy hand yet? Yeah, well, I no. did. Let's do it. 
Where are we going to, Michigan? I mean, boo- fuck me. Where are we going to, boo? Throw up your hand. We're we're going. Look, listen right to my enthusiasm. Down here, on the far west side, lower, lower, extreme. Oh, that low. part of your hand doesn't get worked out very often. No, I know it looks a little soft. Yeah, it looks. It's not even calloused. <laughs> so we're going down here at the very bottom edge of my hand, <laughs> an area called Cass County, Niles, Cassopolis area. You people will know where that is if you don't just just look it up it's, it's way Maps down far. that's way down there yeah way down southwest way down bottom, south. close to indiana yeah what he said keith james lintz jr let me tell you about his photo <laughs> you guys just look at this guy he come on uh, mdoc eight eight nine two one one carson city jail that's where he resides. Right now. Getting corrected as we speak. Keith was born September 4th, 1984, to parents Sherry and Keith Lynch Sr. He had two half-brothers sharing their same mother. What? Yeah. That sounds incestual. Yeah, well, kind of, but not really. In May of 1987, when Keith was just three years old, the children were made wards of the state. The first home was that of a foster home. Parents were Kendall and Shirley Krause. A foster home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love those. I love them the, so much. The three boys stayed temporarily at the Krause home, the home of horrors, apparently, and uh, Keith claimed that the children were returned to their parents on December 7th, 1990. Excuse me, it's the Krause House of Horrors. What'd I say? You, I don't know, not that. <laughs> Sadly, in the few short months away from their parents, awful things happened to the kids, and it appears that it happened by the foster parents' adopted son. Uh, so sexual the, situations. Yeah, the occurred. foster parents didn't do anything, but their adopted kid did. Oof. I'm telling you, half of our foster homes are just in it for the fucking money. I, yeah, I know about it's that. It's horror stories yeah. left and right. It's. It drives me goddamn insane. <sighs> By the time he was a young adult, Keith had a litany of charges against him. Two times he had already abused women, once in South Bend, Michigan, and once in Tennessee. Probably more than that. South Bend was, is in Indiana. Oh, yeah. South Bend, Indiana, I met. Probably more times than that, because you know what we always say. Why are you holding your boob? Oh, Jesus Christ, I was just crossing my arm. <laughs> You were really holding your boob. Other. <laughs> you can say you weren't, but you were. Look at it. It's wrinkly under it. Holding my boob. Because it feels good. <laughs> I know. Mm. Ask any woman. Mm. We all hold our own Cupping boobs. myself. It feels great. Other convictions against Keith include assault of a police officer. I mean. I attempted can't. assault of a police officer. Drunk driving. <laughs> and marijuana use. A marijuana of which he did spend a little time in jail for. Of course he did. In February of 2010, Keith was let out of jail from the drunk driving and contempt of court charge that he had. He sounds like a real up, uh, he outstanding is a, he is individual. He is one of Michigan's finest. Mm, there is a, a list cop. online. <laughs> when released oh. <laughs> from... <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
When released, he stayed with his mom in an apartment complex on Cranberry Road. Whilst high on meth, meth. Keith decided that he's going to rob the local meth house. At least if there's no money, maybe he'll get some meth, you know, for his efforts. Yeah, because that's what he wants the money for anyways. Keith had literally only been out of jail for 10 fucking days when he decided he needed to... Hit a lick. Hit a lick. Hit a lick. Dude, if you want to sound cool, just go to the streets and say, I'm going to hit a lick. And oh. they'll know what you're talking about. Okay. I won't know. You don't fucking I know. Don't. I have no Look, idea. You are clueless right now. You're wiping your eyeglasses trying to figure sure. out what it means. It was Friday, February 5, 2010. Keith puts on his winter boots and heads out. It was really early in the morning. February 10. Was the year of Snowmageddon. Do you remember all that stuff? Literally, weather was fucked up from Calais to New York. New York had cars under the snow. That seems to happen every year right now. No. It was really, really bad that year. Michigan had around 6 to 10 inches of snow, which is like normal, pretty much. Yeah, not this year. I have added a Wikipedia link so that you guys can see the crazy weather that year. It, oh, cool. It was really, it was really fucked up. From yeah, we, we had some pretty extreme weather. Yeah. Keith goes out in the snow and he's walking to this meth house, which is, happens to be in his neighborhood. Big surprise. He goes through the woods and down an alley and through the backyard and up to grandma's house. I mean, up to the meth house or the back door. Nice fairy tale of a story. House. Yeah. When he first goes in, there's a pretty chill dog there. I thought that said there's a pretty chilly dog there. Oh, that sounds really good right now. I could go for a chilly dog. I'm like, why did I write chilly dog? So Keith closed the door to lock him in that room. He locked the dog in that room. Yeah. It turns out I think it was a Rottweiler. Oh. so sweet. (laughs) I think. Don't quote me on that. John Tarwaki Jr. and his wife, Carolyn, were getting ready to go to work. The couple both worked for a local music company called Quinlan and Fabish. The two not only repaired instruments, but would frequently go to schools and work on the kids' musical instruments and with their music program. That is super cool. They traveled Mm -hmm. to a lot of areas, local areas, and did that kind of stuff. I loved it. That was cool. They were always punctual and committed. The couple didn't show up to a meeting they had scheduled, so, you know, people started freaking out a little bit. Somebody called around. It's a small town, so eventually John Sr. gets called. You know, the grapevine's happening. John Sr. decides he's going to go to the home of his son and see what's going on. Maybe they overslept by some weird chance. Mm. Walking in the door, unfortunately, he discovered his son lying face down with wounds on his back. When he searched for his daughter-in-law, he sadly found her kind of leaning against the bottom of the couch. You know how you kind of sit up against the couch when you're on the floor? Yeah, but it it was obvious to John Sr. that she was also deceased. She looked to have been beaten and stabbed and shot. Ugh. The 911 call came in moments after he arrived at the home. Sr. called them. Fact is, John Jr. had two stab wounds and two gunshot wounds. We know had to be at close range. 
Miss Carolyn was beaten up around her face and head area, and she had been stabbed four times and shot twice, also at close range. Detectives on the scene noticed the locked-up dog and the boot prints in the snow going into and out of the Tawaki's home. Genius. Mm. It's like leaving a little breadcrumb. Yep. Here I come. Here I go. Dink, 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 dink. Of course, police followed the foot tracks back through the wooded alley around the corner and through down the woods. the woods and through Grandma's, grandma's alley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they didn't see any blood until almost right before the road. They found a speck of blood and they collected it. And then, of course, they lost the footprints at the road. So they couldn't follow him right back. It's it's kind of... They didn't catch the guy right then, let's just say that. How, did, how didn't he get blood Dude, everywhere? I don't understand. It's white-ass snow, red-ass blood. Right. You just killed two people. I mean, I shart my pants. And, and I found it in the snow. Mm-hmm. I knew you sharted right away. Mm-hmm. And that's brown. I don't get it. I don't understand well, how it, was, it happens. There was some red in there. We do. <laughs> God, I keep telling you to poop in that box and send it. You won't poop in the box. You're going to get stuff shoved up your bum because you're old. They're going to make you do it. You better go poop in the box, boot. I, I do it recreationally. I poop in a box. <laughs> in the garage, I poop in oh, there. Oh, it hurts to laugh. We know that stabbings like this are normally a rather personal motive. Eventually, with little left at the scene to go on, Michigan State Police were forced to disband their task force that was assigned to this case. They were kind of given up on it. A little bit. There was nothing at the scene, which again, amazes me. So this is cool. Two amazing Michigan State Police officers picked up the case. Detectives Jason Bailey and Sergeant Detective Fabian Suarez. It's so cool. I went to school with a Jason Bailey, but Did it's you? not this one. That's cool. A quick shout out to Detective Sergeant Suarez. He was raised in Ludington, Michigan. He was also featured on a Discovery Channel program. Sorry, I'm laughing. That song just came to mind. We can do it like they do it on Discovery (laughs) Channel. (laughs) You're an ass. (laughs) Okay, he was featured on a Discovery Channel program called On the Case with Paula Zan. If you're interested in watching, the title is called Footprints and Whispers. Oh. I get the footprints part. It took me a minute to get the whispers part. You'll get it. The detectives went through 700 to 800 tips. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't imagine. While not the main suspect, Keith was on the suspect list within a week. Keith. They interviewed friends of the Tarwaki family. They probably interviewed half of Niles. I didn't look up the The population. population. It's not huge, but there's a lot of people there. Hmm. We spoke to two. We. We. Not you and me. Spoke to two women that he beat up earlier. The detectives went to Tennessee and South Bend and interviewed them, attempting to connect any similarities. In fact, the detectives worked doggedly for two years to bring justice to the Tarwacki family. It was said in a press conference that DNA testing, information given by friends of Keith, whispers, 
And subpoenas for investigating provided by the DA all help lead to Keith Lentz Jr.'s arrest approximately two and a half years after the 2010 murders. Ooh. October 2012, Keith Lentz was arrested for the murders of John E. Two. I don't John know why it says John E. murder and felony. Mr. John, yeah, so Keith was arrested for the murders of John and Carolyn and uh, two counts of first-degree murder and felony with arms, guns. Mr. John Tarwaki said in regards to the arrest as a bittersweet feeling. As a family, we're happy that they've got a guy in custody, but we'll see. He's innocent until proven guilty. As it should be. Innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, but it never fucking is. No, even if they're proved they innocent, the they still oh. still end up with a cloud over them for the rest of their life. Mr. Tarwacki also praised the work of Detective Sergeant Suarez, stating, I can't compliment him enough. He kept us informed all the way through this whole thing. It's been a long road. Side note, I believe Mr. Tarwacki is a stellar man. While researching the story, I found an article where he caused three people to die, plus numerous other problems in the accident that happened in 1998. Ooh. What happened was he was driving a tandem trailer's semi-truck, and somehow he got them stuck and sandwiched between two sets of railroad tracks. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Dude, seriously. And anytime I think of railroad, I think of my friend Robin. She's a a railroad driver. (laughs) One of the railroads was South Shore Railroad, and the other one was Conrail. And a 20-ton steel coil from the rear trailer forced by the impact into the front passenger car. That's horrible. It's awful. Then then there's another article uh, dated 1998 where he and his semi... Uh, we shall call it from <laughs> Repo Man. Yeah, I remember the semi-truck and Repo Man. I was like, Rrr. They were involved in another fatal accident. This time, he was blinded by the sun. However, his semi-brakes were only at 50% capacity. Oh, that's a maintenance issue. And that same week, he had been given 14 more citations, but he was still on the road driving his truck. Um, There are some major issues going on with this, this driver. Yeah, so that was... That was senior. That's just a weird little coinky dink that happened. Maybe that is what has made Mr. Lentz such a forgiving man in the moment. He said everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. His wife said he was a wreck after the train situation. I'm and sure. Lives were taken, so he felt horrible. And so he's a pretty cool dude. There were lawsuits with John Sr. in both situations, but that is beside the point. If you guys want to look that up, get on Google. October 2012, Greg Feldman, Keith's state-appointed attorney, asked for more time to review the case. The lawyer's wish was granted by the judge and moved to November 14, 2012. Judge Michael Dodge set bail, as it should be. I don't know why I put that. Trial started, because it should be, apparently. Yes. Trial started for Keith Lentz Jr. in August of 2013. 
Twelve jurors gathered to hear the sides battled out in the courtroom with little to no physical evidence, going solely on the testimony of others. Whispers. Many were brought to the stand to testify. Keith's friend and ex-girlfriend, all of whom he talked about the murders with. Yeah. Sergeant Suarez showed crime scene video and testified about the closeness of the people's homes as they all lived right there in Cranberry Road. Yeah, and he showed chrome, chrome scene? Chrome scene? Chrome scene photos. Those are old school photos. When they used to put them on Coda tin. chrome. Yeah, those are fucking cool. He showed crime scene photos, and the reason I say that is because the family was there. You're already living through hell, and then they got to see all that again, too. It sucks. When asked by the prosecutor why there was no DNA from the scene, he simply stated that, it's common for crime scenes to be free of the above. Yeah, you just you just wear gloves and a mask. I just am speechless. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't think it's common to just so have either. a clean scene. But who am I? I just write these stories, and apparently, not that great. For Keith, there were only a few who testified. <laughs> On behalf of Keith, there was only a few who testified, and that was his mom and his half brother. Of course, they're going to testify for him. It's his mom, for Christ's sakes. His mom testified under oath that Keith was sleeping on her couch all morning. Until he wasn't. Uh-huh. But the truth comes out that Keith had partied all day, drinking and smoking meth. Of course he was. Detectives put a timeline together, and Mom wasn't even home at the time in the morning that she testified she was home. Lies. Liar. Lied on court. Uh, yep. Hey, what are you going to do? Lie. The, the trial lasted about two weeks. It had to be a long process with all the testimonials. Whisper. Okay, yeah. Footprints and whisper. The, the trial was based on testimony. There was no D. Those are the whispers that people were talking about. The blood that was found in the, in the bloody footprints was Carolyn's. Yeah, so it didn't lead to anybody at all. Oh, perfect. But they did have the fact that he had the same shoe size. That, that's evidence. And they found that pair of shoes. No, they did not find that pair of oh, shoes. they didn't. They just oh. found out he has the same. It literally was a trial of testimony. Oh, yeah. That's it. Keith was smart, did not take the stand. Mm-hmm. The prosecution put the time of death between 6.49 and 7.45 That's a. very M. specific. Throughout it, the proceeding. It was, and I'll tell you why. Oh. I didn't put this on here. Oh. Carolyn talked to her mom every morning, and that morning she was actually having computer problems, and her mom was like, oh, yeah, I talked to Carolyn this morning at this time, and she was having problems with her computer, so she got off the phone, so they were able to say she was alive perfect at this time and this time. Good. And narrow it down. And Keith remained silent throughout the proceedings. I think they all should be fucking gagged. Every single one of them. (laughs) Oops, did I just say that right out loud? The jury only took two hours, well, just a bit over two hours, to agree on the conviction of Keith Lintz Jr. He was charged with two counts of first-degree premeditated murder, plus one count of a firearms possession. He was gifted mandatory life by Judge Michael Dodge. Ooh, the judge ordered Keith to pay the family $21,273.80 in that fucking 80 cents in restitution. There. I want the 80 cents first. 
plus the cost of the couple's funeral. Oh, that better I want to know if they've gotten any of the money. I doubt it. They never do. It's just always bullshit. how are they gonna? How is anyone gonna pay that? According to Lou Mumford of the South Bend Tribune, Judge Dodge said to Keith in the courtroom, "You invaded their world and slaughtered them." Keith Lintz, after being convicted, said to the family, "I'm sorry for your loss, but I didn't do it." Uh, fuck you, Keith. You told a whole bunch of people that you were scared that you were going to get caught. Blah blah blah. Whispers, buddy. Whispers. Yeah, after the trial, Mr. Jarwacki had stated he hoped that Keith would admit his guilt. He didn't admit his guilt. He said he was not guilty. And Keith and his attorney already had an appeal drawn up, I believe due to the lack of physical evidence. And so he yeah. literally put his first appeal up that day. I, I believe I he's still fighting was, this case. I think so, probably. Don't you only get so many appeals? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer for the obvious reasons. Appeal away, Keith, number two. Keep number two. going, number dose. Keith, dose. You are in jail, and you shall stay He's there. He's a number two. He tried his second appeal from inside the Carson City Jail. Denied, I do believe. You, sir, took... Sir. <laughs> you, asshole, took to super amazing giving humans away. You can stay right where the fuck you are, Clint's. Yeah, I do just, not feel sorry for you. You can rot there. Fucking yeah. smoke your mouth in jail. Roll around in your own feces. <sighs> that was hard to get through. Your sorry. Highness, can we have a happy ending? May we please? We can. And you know what I would like to introduce? A band called Ficus. I have a little to say about Ficus. Hailing from Michigan's West Coast, Ficus is a psychedelic rock band that blends their diverse influences seamlessly to produce a sound uniquely their own. Ficus is composed of bassist and multi-instrumentalist Michael Kalinowski, yeah. guitarist Blake McWaters, mm. guitarist Benjamin Graham, mm. keyboardist Michael Failing, yeah. and drummer Nick Johnson. Nick. Here's Ficus with Asteroid Blues. This is off of their Live at Dogtown album, which was just released January 20th, 2023. Stuff. Brand new Ficus, Asteroid Blues. Here we go. Peace out.
Thank you for choosing Michigan Murders and Music. Please rate the show wherever you listen. Michigan Murders and Music is produced by The Boots. Episodes are researched and written by Your Highness. Edited by Your Highness. Views and opinions are the sole stupidity of us and us alone. Don't blame others, please. Listening to this podcast could quite possibly cause major problems to your earballs and definitely will mess up your kids. Permission has been given to us by the bands and we purchased our music on Bandcamp.com. Support your local music scene and all local music scenes.